Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. You still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. This is Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, there's only one expert when it comes to uh, con- big contracts giving out to big pitchers, Japanese pitchers. And that's the guy who wrote the book on the matter. MLB.com at Ian Brown, author of The $100 Million Man, Daisuke Matsuzaka. I know that's not the full title, Ian, but that's what everybody knows. Yeah, close close enough. <laughs> <laughs> you can still you can still get it on Amazon, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. Is, readily, yeah. Readily available, as John Farrell would say. Well, well, this is the opportunity for people to to bone up on what it's like, and and I think that Ian, you wrote about it on in RedSox.com, and I think it's sort of an underplayed narrative and storyline of comparing the Yamamoto stuff to Daisuke, because I tried to do the math, and Yamamoto is going to be a little bit younger, just a little bit younger when he hits yeah. opening day than Daisuke was, but not much. I mean, Daisuke was just over 26. Yamamoto is going to be just under 26. Um, am I so – I mean, I know that you you have the same sensibilities and the same inclination because you wrote about it, but don't you think that people aren't using this as enough of a – I don't want to say a guide, but an example, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very similar. you got a, a 25-year-old guy – 
who, uh, you know, he's won the Cy Young for pitching three years in a row out there. Um, Daisuke really put himself on the map in terms of um, U.S. baseball fans with uh, the MVP in the World Baseball Classic. So um, just, yeah, so, some some similarities. Um, I think the difference is now is there's so much more information out there on these guys and so much more social media and um, so much more, more data on pitching where with Daisuke, it was a little bit of a mystery how he would – um, how he would translate from Japanese baseball to Major League Baseball, but now with all the you know the the data that they use and they can see the spin rates and they can they can they can see everything a lot more than they could in 2006. So I think that there's a lot more assurity uh, within the market with a lot of teams that Yamamoto is going to be the real deal. Where I think teams were were hoping that uh, Daisuke would be the real deal. So. Even though we can't definitively use the information that we would, you know, that Daisuke would be giving us if we did have all this, this, these tools, I, I will say this is that I, I stand by this, Ian. I don't think we'll ever see anything like what we saw with the hype with Daisuke. And, and everyone's talking about the Yamamoto free, it's different. The, the Yamamoto free agency is unique. But the hype around Daisuke was something I don't think that we'll ever see because I don't think there was as many Japanese players who would come, who would come over. Um, it was it, there was that sense of unknown. Well, first of all, I guess I would ask you that. Do you agree with that? Totally. I mean, Daisuke in Japan was looked at as like Elvis Presley or, or uh, Michael Jordan, or I mean, he was just the absolute king of japan for what he had done uh these high school tournaments are huge there and he was the star of all stars in that uh, koshin tournament throwing uh 250 pitches in a game and then i think he came back in relief to save the next game so he kind of became a legend from that point on in japan and he was kind of on another level there so when people in boston when the red sox won it was a, you got to remember too the system was totally different because what happened in in 2006 was um, teams could make blind bids for for uh, Daisuke by a certain date, and then then you would find out uh, who won. So the Red Sox, it was at the GM meetings. I think you were there, Rob. Um, yeah. It was announced that the Red Sox had won the bidding with this fifty one point one million dollar bid, and I think the Mets were second at like thirty million. And then the Yankees were third at like $25 million. So at that point, the Red Sox still didn't have Daisuke. This is why it was intriguing back then. They had a 30-day window to negotiate a contract with them once they won the posting uh, right. So the system is totally different now. So you have this, you had this 30-day negotiation that went down to the final hours, to the final day, and there's all this drama because they were out in California um, was because Scott Boris was out there, and that was Daisuke's agent. So the Red Sox flew out there. Um, tried to make the deal and they didn't know until like the very last minute that they had the deal. Then they, they flew him back to Boston. You remember people were tracking the flight. It was all over the internet. Uh, fans were tracking when Dice. That was the free, yeah, that was the first flight tracker. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so, uh, people were tracking when no. Dice was going to land at Hanscom Air Force Base. And it was just, uh, it was a frenzy. And that, that press conference was just absolutely huge. Um, so yeah, that, that was crazy at the time, and uh, yeah, there are some. So the difference now is you have so many teams involved in Yamamoto. Where with uh, Daisuke, it really just came down to whether the Red Sox could make the deal, and Scott Boris, obviously a tough negotiator. Um, so it did come down to that, uh, you know, that very it was kind of like a buzzer beating deal. So what if let's play this hypothetical game? 
if you drop Dice K, that version of Dice K in this system, in this time, is this because like we said, same age, um, you know, the pedigree, I guess, is different a little bit. I think Yamamoto, you would know better than I. I think Yamamoto maybe have had more of a of um uh shock and awe resume when it comes yeah. to the Japanese League. I mean, you've won three of those Cy Young Awards in a row. But Daisuke, as you said, Daisuke's legend was sort of built earlier, and then it just kept going. It wasn't like he was bad. And yeah. I mean, he was really, he was really good. good. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. And he won the uh, and he won like the Japan Series in, in 2004, so he was a champion. Uh, numbers were, were pretty damn good every year. So they really did. He, he had all these pitches. Remember the mystery of the gyro ball, which I thought was funny yeah. because – um, we never, we never saw that, uh, you know, emerge in Boston, <laughs> the, the gyro ball. But uh, yeah, there was this, just this kind of like um, thing around him, and it's too bad because it kind of wore off once he actually started pitching for the Red Sox because there was so much hype um, that he couldn't quite uh, live up to it. You know, he was pretty good his first couple years there. He helped them win a World Series and get to the uh, Game Seven of the ALCS the next year but i think the problem with dice k rob and i would like to see this if they could have done this over again if he wouldn't have been so stubborn with his training methods that he had used all those years in japan where he was just throwing all the time and it was different from the u.s culture and he just uh you know he wore down you know that 250 pitch high school game i talked about i think stuff like that took a toll where his arm kind of wore down uh, faster than I think um, Yamamoto's will, and I think uh, these uh, Japan these Japanese pitchers are a little smarter now because they know that MLB is their ultimate path, so they're not going to do anything crazy, and they're going to do what they can to to have a nice long career uh, in MLB. So I think that was a little bit of the difference. Was um, I think why Daisuke didn't work out it was not so much the stuff and what kind of pitcher he was in Japan, but just because. He didn't really adapt his training methods very well um, once he got to the U.S. And you remember, I think you remember the Red Sox were pretty upset when he got back from that <laughs> second World Baseball Classic in 2009. And he just uh, – I remember watching him throw a bullpen at the old city of Palm well, Park. Well, that was – Ian, that was it. Ian, that was it. That was like you, – you have those first two years, and then he came – he actually – trained with the Jap way through spring training and he was throwing like 80 some eight low 80s or something like that so and that was it yeah yeah and i remember the the, uh, the pitches were in the dirt and he was, he was just all over the place it was one of the worst uh bullpen sessions i had ever seen and uh, i think it was that year uh he he got pulled i think in the first inning in a game in uh in oakland i want to say because he just uh you know he just didn't have it and then he was uh, he was on the dl shortly after that and they never really had the same Dice K um, after that. And I remember there was one point where he kind of ripped the Red Sox for trying to change him. And John Farrell, that was the maddest we've ever seen him um, because Dice K sort of criticized the way they were training him. And I think he was just grasping, Dice K was just grasping at straws at that point because it wasn't really working out for him. And yeah, it just never, uh, it just never really took for him. We saw glimpses after that, but it just never really. Uh, took for him, and uh, but it wasn't a bad contract for the Red Sox. I mean, it was six years, fifty-two million. So it's not like this, you know, if this three hundred million dollar contract with Yamamoto, whoever signs it, if that blows up, that would be like a huge story. But um, you know, dice the dice K thing. It was they took a flyer on it, and it worked to a degree, and then didn't work. So it wasn't. Uh, I don't think it was a the huge deal that he didn't quite pan out as it would be with with Yamamoto. 
But you know, you you had mentioned, and and I and I've been waiting for someone to mention this, and nobody really has. Was I, I do remember that that narrative of these guys throw all the time. These guys throw all the time, and and not only do they throw all the time, but the you know the the as you point out, Daisuke had been pitching in serious competition at with serious pitch counts for a long, long time. His pitch count by the time he got to the majors was basically the equivalent of maybe someone at least five years older than him. I mean, I'm just throwing that out yeah. there, but we haven't really heard any of that about Yamamoto. Like we that has never ever been a concern um when we're talking about this guy. Yeah, I just think it's because, like I said, they're starting to realize now these pitchers, they want to get to the major leagues. They don't want to blow out. And they realize that that's, that that's going to be that. I think there's certain guys in Japan who kind of know they're going to end up in the major leagues. And when when Daisuke came over, it was very rare at that time for Japanese. You know, you had maybe a small handful. Now it's becoming, it's becoming more common. And the better Japanese players are better well-known now. I mean, we've been hearing about Yamamoto. Uh, for a while now, you know, you heard about, uh, you know, Tanaka before he came over. So it's just uh, the the whole situation is cha- is changing and getting more hype. Where it was kind of more innocent, you know, and unknown when uh, when the dice case situation happened. So this play the hypothetical game. You get dropped. Dice K gets dropped in right now, right? He is it. Do you think it's the same situation? Uh, you know, not knowing, we're not using what he ultimately did in the major leagues. But do you think we're basically talking about the same thing with for Daisuke, where you'll possibly, you know, three hundred million dollar guy? Maybe this is one of the reasons we're talking about this because right. we shouldn't forget about how the age lines up and also how the perception lines up. So, in your eyes, where do you think that he would fit right now in regard when comparing him to Yamamoto? Um, I think he would be a little lesser than Yamamoto because I don't think he had uh, quite the same repertoire. And I think that if they were able to use the data that they can use now, I think it probably would have shown it that, you know, Daisuke had a, had a nice arsenal of pitches, but maybe it wasn't quite what people thought. Maybe it didn't quite translate like people thought. I think, again, I think it's just easier to make the the translation now, you know, from Japanese. How is this going to work in the U.S.? I mean, the baseball is still different. And that was one thing I think Dice K struggled with. But I think if they had had all the data for Dice K, I don't think he would have reached quite the level of, of Yamamoto because I think that they're really – it's more scientific now. Um, so you don't see this many teams involved in one guy willing to put up this kind of kind of money um, unless the guy is really special. And like I said with Dice K, um, the Red Sox almost doubled the posting fee of any other team. So they were kind of all in – but other teams were more kind of like, oh, you know, I don't know if this is going to translate over there. So I just think that Yamamoto, uh, is, I think he's on a higher level, even though Daisuke was more famous in Japan. You know, as crazy as that sounds, I think that um, he, uh, Yamamoto is at a higher level as a pitcher in the eyes of uh, major league evaluators. But you know, you know how I know he's more famous in Japan? Because I'll never forget when we went to, you and I went to Tokyo and you went to a bar or whatever. It was for Red Sox fans in Tokyo when they played there. Forget about Daisuke. You were Elvis, the <laughs> author of this book. The, one of the biggest misses of all time in the book, in the history of book writing, was you not finding a way to ship over about a thousand books 
Because you would have been, you basically could have retired. You were like a, a rock star. It was like, it, it, and then they put the book. And then the fact is that they have the, I don't know if they still have it, the Daisuke Museum, right? They, yeah, yeah. Daisuke had his own museum, right? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, yeah, they put the book in the museum. Yeah, but this is, that that is, there were so many little memories that I think both of us have of Daisuke. And it was great to see him. This past season, doing you know, just out and about and doing work, and people don't really realize that he and his family still was living in the yeah. Boston area all these years, even when he was playing. But a couple jumped to mind, um, and you and I want you to give you yours. I mean, one of the ones which is you talk about expectations. That first game that he pitched was a spring training game against Boston College, yeah. and two, two things. Number one. How we still remember the guy's name, Johnny Ayers, right? Yeah. Johnny Ayers was a punter for the Boston College football team, also the leadoff hitter for the Boston College baseball team. The day before, Daisuke had talked to the Japanese media. Said They asked him what was going to be his first pitch. He said a fastball. Johnny Ayers read that thing, sat on the fastball, and rifled a double. I think it was down in the left field line. So that was hilarious because everybody was like, oh, if a college kid is hitting a double off this guy, what is yeah, going yeah. on? And then every – Ian, I don't even think the velocity was up in the the the, um, the stadium back then. So we were going sort of down to the, the scouts to find out what was the readings. And his fastball was – I don't even think it was hitting 90 – and it was, and I remember Craig Shipley, who was sort of at the head of this, yeah, yeah. a couple of rows behind, sort of like texting, like, that's, don't worry about it. That's not really him. He's just working. Like, there was this hypersensitivity because of all the unknown, all the hype, and all of that. And then, and then just the, every single day of showing up as early as you want and having 30 Japanese riders, which I guess the closest it'll come is Otani, which is probably close to that now. But the other part about that was, Ian, you know, you have you have the uh, the room, an entire room in a press box built because of Daisuke, because of the Japanese writers overflow. That's how it is in Fenway Park right now. So there's some oh. of mine. What's some of yours? Yeah, I mean, that that is kind of the first thing I think of is just when getting to spring training that year and just seeing all the Japanese writers and cameras and they were everywhere but i remember not even the game when he first threw um i think it was his first live batting practice oh all, all the reporters were were trailing around uh trying to talk to all the hitters who faced him and one of these guys was bobby scales who was just like a journeyman sort of uh major leaguer and john blake the, the great uh pr director uh, now with the Texas Rangers, and he was with the Red Sox. Then he just shouts in the middle of this courtyard behind the Red Sox, the old Red Sox minor league clubhouse at uh, in Fort Myers. You know, Bobby Scales will be available in a minute. And I'm just like, do you have a horde of people going to talk to Bobby Scales just about um, facing Dice K in batting practice? So that just things like that are just what really stick out. But, just how every start he made was was so uh, magnified. By the way. Another person, this is how bizarre we remember this. Another person in that batting practice group was Kevin Cash. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, I remember Kevin Cash was there, but the Bob, Bobby Scales is now available. It was <laughs> another one that jumps to mind was you talk about, you know, the, 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 I don't want to say animosity, but 
there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, sort of I think from the Red Sox point of view, unexpected aspects to this. Number one, Ian, I think they thought that a big part of this was going to be all these riches that came with being affiliated with it yeah. along the lines of what, what Otani's getting. But they, I don't think they really got that. Like, I didn't get no. the sense that they got that, right? Yeah, I think the system was different then. I think with the licensing agreements, I don't think the team made as much uh, off the player. And, uh, yeah, so that that never quite took. And I honestly, like, if he had pitched like Pedro Martinez, maybe the team would have made a lot more money off him. But um, it, he just never kind of got to that level. He was a fine um, you know, top three of the rotation starter for a World Series team in 2007, along with um, Beckett and Schilling that year. But he, he, he didn't become like the man that they thought he was going to be. So I think, you know, that's why some of the licensing stuff didn't take. And honestly, Rob, um, his style of pitching, uh, it was just kind of oh. plotting and slow. And I think that turned fans off a little bit too, because they thought they were getting the next, um, Pedro Martinez, a lot of them did. And then you're seeing this guy and he's just like doing this slow windup and just kind of um, nibbling on the corner. So he wasn't the most um, um, aesthetic. He didn't have the greatest aesthetics with his pitching. So I think that was another reason why he didn't really kind of capture um, the fan base. And he didn't have like, he was a perfectly nice guy, but he didn't have that charismatic personality like Koji, you know, like where the fans just like love Koji and the high fives and all that, and uh, he became kind of like an instant cult hero in Boston, and uh, D- Dice K just, uh, you know, he he never really developed that in Boston. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because when you look at, well, one of the things I'm going to mention was, you know, maybe this jobs with a personality thing. I remember being Francona calling me in his office I was working for the Boston Herald at the time and said, hey, just want to let you know that he's dice case threatening not to pitch tonight because <laughs> because because the Herald had run a picture of him, his wife and kids. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to tell you. But he was like, yeah, I just want to let you know. So like, okay. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's just a when you look at dice case when we Yeah, right. I mean and um and I think that with also with when it comes to on the field it's I, one of the things I remember about him, and I was just studying this the other day. I forget with what pitcher, but how bizarre it was. One of the bizarre things about him, other than just constantly, he'll walk the bases loaded and get out of it. Yeah. Was was the uh, was the um, he dominated like the cleanup hitters, like he dominated yeah. the cleanup hitters, and was terrible against like the number nine hitters. And you know what? It was kind so. Of- what I was gonna say, what that kind of speaks of is in Japan, you know, the lineups aren't as deep, right? So you're really focusing on those middle of the year. There's probably two guys in the lineup that could really hurt Daisuke, and he could just um, maneuver around the rest of the lineup. So I think that he probably didn't realize, especially in the American League East and in the American League in general at that time, how tough an entire lineup was. So maybe he discounted that a little bit and maybe uh, almost came over a little too kind of cocky as far as what he could do against other hit. But you're right, he really did bear down and concentrate. Um bases yeah. loaded um and in the the middle of the order. Yeah, so it was when we look at it his his tenure, like he as you said, he pitched in the World Series. He helped them win a, he legitimately helped them win a World Series, right? Yeah, and he even got a, I, even got a big hit. 
Oh, that's got a big two run single <laughs> in uh, game game three. The guy hadn't hit all year, and uh, yeah, he broke a, a big two run single to get to. Well, help. I mean, well you you know where I'm going to go with this, which is not him getting the hit, but but <laughs> JD Drew using his bat. All oh, right, in Arizona. Yeah, and, he had a monster and, week. Yeah. And JD JD hit a home run, and they found out that they were using Dice's bat. And all the writers, look, the question was literally was, do you believe the bat is magical? <laughs> I do remember. That was great. Yeah. That it's was a book. Yeah. It's, it's in the book. But um, so, you know, you have this, you have this year where he was pretty good in 2000. Okay. I mean, I don't think lived up to expectations, but okay. And then people forget Ian. Worse than Cy Young voting in 2008. Yeah, like, yeah. ERA under three, ERA under three, you know, eight, whatever, 18 wins. Yeah, he's 18 So really good. He really just killed himself with that training the next year. Yeah, yeah, that was unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen what he would have, uh, you know, if they didn't have that World Baseball Classic or if he just decided not to pitch it in and he just kind of focused on the Red Sox. There was so much pressure from Japan um, to pitch for your country and, you know, Yoshida faced a little bit of that last year where maybe in a perfect world – um, he would have stayed uh, in Fort Myers the whole spring, rather done the whole uh, traveling all around for the WBC thing. So there's just a lot of pressure. But yeah, that, people do forget that Dice K was pretty good his first two years, and you know after that second year, he was only 27 years old, so he could have just gone up. But I just think his arm—I just think he had arm problems from there, um, and it just kind of went. I think it was 20, uh, 2011. He had to have Tommy John. And he didn't recover from Tommy John like a lot of guys did, so um, I'm not sure what what quite happened there. But uh, yeah, he 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 looked like the first two years he was going to be on a pretty good tra- trajectory there, and it just it didn't didn't pan out. The last thing, Ian, is is I think that the overall reason why I, I you know I, I we should be comparing these two or surfacing Dice Game besides the awesome story and the spike in book sales. Which I'm just like just checked. I mean, it's just, it's going through the roof. Amazon right ranking now. is up in top ten. Amazon right. ranking is is neck and neck with Chasing Steinbrenner. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but no, actually, that was the same uh, same time as the low Mike Lowe book. The, yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Very um, competition. Yeah, yeah, but it was, unfortunately, the 2009 2010 seasons were the same for both players, uh-huh. uh, along the same. Anyway. Yeah. The point is, is that when we talk about Yamamoto, there's so much of like a, the price keeps going up, the years keep going up, and it's the cost of doing business. We get it, but we should understand that there is there. You might even get a good couple of years here, but if I heard 13 years yesterday, yeah, 13 Why? years. We aren't talking about Otani. We aren't talking about so. We aren't talking about a position player. We're talking about a pitcher as young as he is. It's for a guy who's never – this isn't Garrett Cole. He's never pitched in the major leagues. And I, I know I'm painting a morbid picture of it, but it's just saying, hey, listen, let's just go in with our eyes wide open because this happened. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like the unknown is more uh, – the unknown's more intriguing to these teams than the guys they know. And just say, you know, this guy could be the next this – and uh, he could be the the, the Otani of uh, of pitchers, you know, you know what I mean. So teams are willing to go all in, but yeah, I mean, I think Dice K in a way um, is a cautionary tale that 
you know, you don't know for sure until these guys come over with the new baseball that's in the U.S., which is different than the one in Japan with the new kind of schedule. They're not pitching, uh, you know, on a six-day schedule or maybe whatever team gets him will do that just to keep him comfortable. But, yeah, you don't know until he actually pitches. That's why it's so fascinating to see all these teams throwing all this money at him. And really curious to see how it's going to come down. You know, a lot of people think, seem to think he's going to the Yankees. But in truth, nobody really knows what he's thinking. And we're not going to know until he, he makes up his mind. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, <laughs> let's get the show on the road for the offseason. And so so I can, I can regroup. I mean, this is, that's another thing. So Daisuke had 45 days. So that was at the GM meeting. So that was – uh, early November, even that was done. Like that yeah, was he, done. Yeah, December fourteenth, he signed. So December fourteenth. Yeah. Oh, how did we not do a, an anniversary show? <laughs> well, okay. Anyway, this is close enough. Ian, thank you so much. You're an expert. Thank you. And I just want to show the hat that I got. Uh, this is the hat I got the Japanese All Star Series in uh, 2006 when I went over there. All right. Traveling team of all stars, and that was the first time I saw Daisuke. He had the press conference to have that to say he was going to be posted to uh, the major leagues. Put, put it right up next to the, Put it right up to your camera. Put it right up to camera. Uh, all right, good uh, enough. There, uh, there the back, it is. The background. The my beautiful jet blue park uh, background was uh, was interfering there. But <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, we get we got the spirit of the thing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Rob. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.